Welcome to the final episode of season three. My co-conspirators, Kurt Newton. Hello. And Dave Damler. Hi, everybody. And this is me, Rajesh Kasirangan, in the fantastic studios of MIT. So we've taken on some really interesting stuff this season, taking different looks at what learning actually looks like. So what did you guys mean by learning to change when we started all this enterprise? We got to do things differently than we have been. Mm -hmm. We got to do it quicker. Mm -hmm. We got to do it bigger. Mm -hmm. We got to do it smarter. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would like to think that learning's got something to do with that. And we got to learn how to bring individuals and communities and governments and businesses and divine retribution and everything else into one framework. I don't know how to do it, mm -hmm. but I want to learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, the, it's, the interesting question is, who's the we here? You know, is the three of us in the room with our sound engineer, Dave Lashansky, or is it the whole world, or is it something in between? And, you know, what does that shift look like? What does transformation mean for me or for we? I don't know the difference. For me, it starts with me <laughs> in the sense of, like, who who can I speak for? And I, I think back to, you know, so, some of the things that that really got us started on this on this theme, like change starts from within, right? And uh, I'm, I'm left at the end of the season here wondering, how have I changed? <laughs> how have I observed you guys changing through it? So what's, you know, what's up for you? Well, one of the things that's up for me is, feeling increasingly urgent that, oh my God, we don't have time for all of this, all of this sort of thoughtful learning. There's too much to do. Mm -hmm. There's too much to do, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, I'm, I'm left wondering if that's my mindset, how, how do I create the space to actually take in new stuff? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Help, help me, mm -hmm. Dave, mm -hmm. help me, mm -hmm. Rajesh. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm, I'm really struck by the Mothers Out Front model, which is learning in community helping each other to learn. And these are folks, often uh, working parents, that have lots of demands on their lives and don't have a whole lot of time. And yet, they're somehow able to pull off that learning in community so that no one individual has to bear the whole burden. And that seems like a really compelling model to me. So the big thing for me, and which is strange given my anarchist impulses, is how the possibility of large-scale state action is now not too far. You know, we are talking about the Green New not Deal. Not too far. You mean like we could be looking at it actually taking shape? I hope we do, right? We I mean, better be hoping we do. Yeah, but I, I feel like come 2020 or maybe even earlier, you know, federal legislation that is transformative might be on the board. I mean, that would be kind of, I mean, it would be, completely different from anything that we have seen in the climate movement before. Mm -hmm. The question that I'm left with is, how do you scale? How do you go from a one high school or one club in a high school or one local uh, advocacy group, Mothers Out Front, whatever it might be, or one university like MIT teaching one freshman seminar? How do you scale those things up? I have an Looks answer. like you I got an, an answer. idea. I have an answer. <laughs> Go for it. Tell your story through a podcast. <laughs> okay. Uh -huh, All right. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So that gets the word out to more people. Yeah. Yeah. Fireside chats from the president, but not the current one. 
Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but you know, frankly, I, I've been reading about not just about the New Deal, but something that you could say I'm not terribly proud about, and we shouldn't be. But the Manhattan Project and how the nuclear bomb was built. You know, 130,000 people worked on that, which in the United States of 1942 or 43 is one in every thousand oh, Americans. Oh, right, in Los Alamos, New How Mexico. many of them knew what they were doing? I don't know. I, my and, sense and, is it and, was super, and, super secret, and it, right? And it used mm-hmm. 1% of the, the electricity, just that one project consumed 1% of the United States electricity. Well, it's like Bitcoin. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's happened. I mean, not. I wouldn't say that it's necessarily the model to emulate, given what it led to, but I do think that you can start from scratch and commandeer very large amounts of resources to achieve a common goal pretty quickly. So what's the connection to learning in there? They had to learn how to build the industrial infrastructure. I mean, they, Oh, for the nuclear bomb? Yes, they oh. didn't have it. And of course, they built upon the New Deal. So the so Oak Ridge National Laboratory is in Tennessee, and all the electricity came from the Tennessee Valley Authority, which was built by the New Deal. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's this cascading series of interventions. You need a New Deal to build the institutions to then build the next stage. And so that's kind of collective learning that's, I think, very important. And there's a really interesting uh, thread of history and perspective that you get from understanding history in that as well. That's the thing we didn't touch on specifically, explicitly in this uh, in this season, but we'd better hope that there are a lot of lessons like that from history that can inform what we're going to be doing, both on the positive side and things to avoid on the negative side. Some examples come to mind, Kurt? Well, uh, an example of thing to avoid, <laughs> you know, from recent history. You know, there's this uh, expose about uh, palm oil uh, and the deforestation God. that came along with that oh. as a unintended consequence right. from a bunch of not fully thought out biofuels mandates, you mm-hmm. know, 10, 15, 20 years prior. Yeah. George W. And, Bush. And the things that were set in motion through that have turned out to have really devastating consequences for the climate. And I feel like there's there's a bunch of, I don't know, cautionary tales that we might want to learn from a deeper study of history. And that's that's only one of the most recent, but we can go way, way. And, and that's that. actually why I love Quentin's safe to fail idea, because if somebody had done a safe to fail experiment with palm oil, they would have figured out that cutting down rainforests in Borneo is not a great way to um, address uh, renewable fuel, you know, biofuels. In other words... Let's do a, a few test plots of a palm oil plantation and <laughs> see right, what it looks like. Right, yeah. right. Well, that's, but it's tough to set up. That's yeah. interesting, Rajesh, that you mentioned about safe to fail. Because when I think about our three sets of guests, Terrascope at MIT, Mothers Out Front, and Boston Latin School, they were all experimenting. They were trying things out. Every year, a little different. Let's try this. Let's try that. And we could go back and uh, recount lots of examples from all three of those sets of folks where they were learning on the job. They were learning by doing, trying it out. Oh, that didn't work. Oh, let's try something else, right? And each one of them had different goals, and yet they were able to roll with the punches, so to speak. Mm-hmm. As a community. As a community. Yeah, Lear- a learning community. And I think that that is very interesting because 
communities that are self-consciously learning communities, I think, are different from communities that just happen to learn. In what ways do you think? Because I feel like that message of we need to learn together is probably part of the DNA of the organization itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got an example of uh, a learning community that really you thought worked well, that influenced you? So this is a kooky community, but it was actually one of the most influential in my life. So um, I was part of a group called Kira. So Kira in Japanese means star. And so Kira was this community which was science and other ways of learning. So so the idea was that you combine scientific inquiry with um, philosophical, artistic, and spiritual ways of knowing. And so they organized these five summer schools in Amherst, at Amherst College. And people would come from all across the world and spend two weeks with each other. And every day, they would create a joint project. Like everybody was part of a team that created a joint project. And people would be like, you would have writers and, you know, mathematicians and... It's like an artist colony, but yeah, broader, broader yeah. Uh, domains. And yeah. it was amazing the kind of things that you would think of after just being at it together for a week, right? Like, like this magic would happen. It would be pretty intense before that mm-hmm. and nerves and tempers and everything. But I really like the idea of a very diverse group of people coming together with a blue sky mandate. So diverse in the sense of representing different disciplines or and subject matter interests, just ju- cultures, I mean, languages, everything. everything. Mm-hmm. It was literally like it was a microcosm of, a, I mean, of an elite microcosm because if you can come fly down to Amherst College, you're not a very poor peasant somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, but nevertheless a very diverse group of people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm. We're not talking about a, a one-day hackathon no. either. This is a thing where it takes some time for people to get to know one another and there's space for new big ideas to uh, to take shape collaboratively and yeah. and some of and and get great mentorship there were some very distinguished people who were mentors and all oh, those mentors well, we saw that exact exact <laughs> yeah. same thing that you're describing we saw that in all three cases terrascope mothers out front and boston latin there was there were developmental stages that they went through, getting to know each other, who's in the room, who knows what, what are your skills, what can we learn from each other, and then they took off, all of them, at different stages of their development as a learning community. And you never know, I mean, it's not, po- I don't think you can bottle that magic, like each group has its own chemistry, mm-hmm. but when it clicks, I think you, everybody knows and it's a process that you have to go through. You can't, like you're saying, you can't just uh, walk into the room and all of a sudden it happens. But it's a process that facilitators like Kate Arnold, who is right. the faculty member at Boston Latin, who helped start that. Vanessa Rule and Mothers Out Front. Others are facilitators. They're sort of uh, helpers of in the, getting the group to gel and become a community mm-hmm. of learners. It takes time. So that's the other thing that learning tells us, right? Patience. And, and and I I think that we thought we were urgent before. Oh man, <laughs> you know. Certainly, conversations I'm having with with people who have been climate engaged. That's a that's a really common feeling. Right. So the, the clarion call of of the IPCC 1.5 special report. Right. You know, saying we got to be 50 percent reduction by 2030. I 
you know, one of my my biggest questions when you're at this point is, what's a learning model look like that can take on that scale of of a, of we a don't challenge know. of speed? We're gonna have to figure it out. Yeah, right. We're gonna right. have to figure it out. We're gonna have to run some really well thought out rapid experiments over the next couple of years. Right, but we saw those sorts of things unfolding. If you think back to the conversation we had with Susan Tang, who is the leader, right. the student leader at Boston Latin, she was saying, she was observing, hey, in the beginning, we were talking about recycling and things at the household level, and now we're talking about the whole school level, the whole school system level, and we're bringing in younger people, or teaching and training the next generation within the school, and we're focused on different kinds of issues. It's not just the household and can you recycle the plastic, which is still good, but it's much larger scale. How can we change the system? How can we, uh, Rebecca Park was talking about changing the standards for teaching, changing the testing standards. That's where you make a systems level, an institutional kind of change, and you can use those objects. I mean, I'm speaking to your concern, Kurt, about we don't have time. So maybe it's a matter of changing the object of change from individuals and households and families to institutions have to learn, have to get more nimble, have to get more responsive, don't you think? Yeah, I feel like uh, actually one of the most important forms of learning right now might be learning how to identify when something's not working <laughs> and and mm-hmm. flipping the script on it, right? And so mm-hmm. there's there's so much momentum built up behind the forces that uh, that have led us to this to this climate crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one of the most fundamental learnings needs to be when do we call it for what it is and mm-hmm. say this flow this needs to be interrupted. You know, right, right. But you know, the flip side being, I don't think as a species we have much experience with changing everything at the species level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right, because it's not just changing your school that is going to involve changing your school. It's going to, it's not just changing your household, but it's going to involve the, like everything in every way has to change. And so if we are successful, like I, I bet if we recorded how we live today and we do you know successfully negotiate some of those goals that I think the IPCC report is actually pretty conservative. Mm-hmm. It, we need to be much more uh, aggressive in our targets than what it says. But let's say we do it, then I'll, I mean, we will be living a life 10 years from now that's quite different from what it is today. I mean, that's pretty, um, you know, pretty unbelievable. You could say so how we get our energy and yeah, how everything. we use uh, transportation, we everything. Exactly. Yeah. Consume say, food. That, that we'll be living quite differently by choice or increasingly <laughs> it will be forced upon us <laughs> and out of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like yeah, it's going to happen whether it happens through our agency or our lack of it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Right. So for me, the this whole series, the season uh, about learning to change really had two parts to it, two definitions. One of them is how do I change? How do I transform myself? But it's also how do we learn in order to transform systems? How do we get larger institutions? How do we get uh, even a species level? <laughs> to reflect change that's needed, that's absolutely essential if we want to survive on the planet. So when it comes to that, is there something that you guys feel the season did not cover in our learning to change trajectory or something that you yeah. would like to see? I mean, I, I, 
I have, you know, <laughs> along the spirit of urgency and so forth, this, uh, this, this big open question about learning being a fairly, I don't know, sort of rational process, mm. right? And that change, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that change of the sort that we need should be grounded both in a learning spirit, but also a, a kind of decisiveness and being grounded in, in some values, mm-hmm. which are, I think, accessed through a different path than, than what we would conventionally think of as learning. So all parts of our brain, yeah, not just the rational, the right, left, brain, right, left brain kind of thing, right. Mm-hmm. Well, we did. I mean, our first our season opener with Renee kind of went over some of these issues. Oh, I mean, that's I, right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But I think that again, how do you institutionalize that? Like you know, because psychology in particular is seen as such an individual thing, yeah. and emotions are seen as a very individual thing. But we want collective emotions. And collective value well, shifts. So, so even Renee, though, as a environmental psychologist, was very quick to to point out that it's less about what's going on completely within ourselves and more about how in our relationships with people, the conversations we have get to be shifted. And it's that we're back into that, you know, kind of community frame again. Right. That all of this stuff has got to flow into our relationships with other people. So we're as humans, as a species, we're social animals, right? So learning in community ought to be the most natural thing versus competitive, like I'm better than you are, or I've got more answer, right answers than you do. It's how can we together be smart? Yeah. Isn't that the key? Yeah. And it's also clear at this point that learning in community needs to be learning in communities, plural, and and that we need to be expanding our contact outside of what our kind of default home turf might be in a community sense, that the intersectionality of these issues requires that we work together, understand each other, and get connected in a a way that uh, I don't think we've ever really had to uh, confront before. Well, that's where I think the Mothers Out Front model is so beautiful because Vanessa, if you remember, Vanessa Rule was the director of expansion as well as learning. And we said, gee, what's going on there? She said, well, we learn in communities. Whatever we've learned one place, we try to pour it over to another or make it available to the people who are organizing. Say, uh, Stacy out in South Bay in San Jose was standing on the shoulders of folks in other states that had maybe a step or two uh, ahead of them. So let me come back to the question that I posed a couple of minutes ago. What's missing? For me, A number of the guests touched on the whole systems thinking approach to things, not just seeing households or schools or communities in isolation, but as part of a larger web of systems, whether it's corporations, government, you know, all the different players in the the human system. And we touched on that, but I was missing a more thoroughgoing analysis of what that system looks like. Uh, Some of our guests talked about understanding power or walking in the hallways of power and what do you do there once you're there. So I think we could have taken those kinds of themes a step or two further. For me, a couple of big things that are missing from this conversation have been uh, the voice of business, which is unquestionably just has so much power out in the world. Mm-hmm. And it would be great to have that be more part of the, part of the equation uh, mm-hmm. because that's 
for better or for worse, that's where a lot of the uh, the results and the impact are going to come from. The other the other thing for me is just on the other side of that equation, the voices of communities that have been marginalized from this stuff in the past. I have to assume would have a very different, hopefully complementary, but a different set of expectations and rules to live by and goals and objectives. And uh, I know I personally really look forward to that being, you know, one of the the most powerful sources of of learning for my future. Mm -hmm. I want to also build on what you were saying before about values, Kurt, because I think it might have been if we had had the time to talk with people from faith communities because those are communities that typically speak from their heart, from their values. And I think there's a lot of learning to change uh, that comes through those values discussions. Yeah, where do you where do you hear people talk more often about transformation than in, in that sort of sphere? Right, huh? right, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I have a couple of places. One is definitely, I mean, we recorded all of these interviews before the IPCC report came out. Yep. So October 8th is when that report was released. And 2018. 2018. And since then, I think it's clear that, uh, Kurt, you already pointed out, if we thought things were bad and we needed to be urgent, well, now we have to be much more so. And so I think everybody's grappling with how do you learn to change at 10x the speed that you were trying to you know, which you already thought was quite fast, yeah. right? Yeah. And and what I'm also noticing is how large international institutions, the IPCC and others, are also struggling with this because suddenly it's clear that the very foundations of current power are going to be challenged, right? Like the world will not be the same. You're talking about the, the sort of uprisings and, and Everything. rightward shifts and so forth. Yeah, right? and so... Wars, mass migrations, that sort of thing. And so I think that we are suddenly seeing directly in front of our eyes some of the bad news that people were just you know, speculating upon earlier. Yeah. And I don't know, and we need to figure out how to address those as well. And along with that, then I'll say we need to learn how to lift each other up. Yeah. Yeah. If you're feeling down, we need to learn how to lift each other up and uh, and share those sources of, of courage and hope. As we are recording today, Sunrise Movement is leading an action of a thousand plus people in Washington, D.C., making a, a firm lobbying push for Green New Deal and for, for stronger action. And I get such a an uplift from from the from the growth of that movement, I have to say, mm-hmm. these I, are uh, young people, teenagers. Yeah. Well, uh, and, and young adults, young you know, adults, people, mm-hmm. high school, college, and and through the through uh, through their twenties. Mm-hmm. I'm with you in spirit. So, guys, as we start looking towards the future, you know, yes, it's true that momentous changes are about to happen, but like, how do you feel like you want to contribute to this shift? For me personally, it's really important to bring in a systems perspective whenever possible. So when I was seeing tear gas in the streets of Paris and thought that, oh, our friend Kurt (laughs) is in Paris, I wonder how he's doing there, I realized this is a learning moment for us as global citizens, as people that uh, have instant access to information about what's happening all across the globe, and that 
we don't have the luxury of time to sit and wait and hope that somebody will somehow uh, have a miracle cure, an engineering solution or whatever that will make it all the issue go away, but that this is affecting whether governments stand or fall, where we can travel, where we feel comfortable, our lifestyle to which we have become accustomed and gotten kind of, speaking for myself, gotten a little bit lazy in terms of my choices. It's a collective wake-up call that I think we need to all be thinking in terms of global systems instead of just our own little neighborhood and street. I think the big thing that I'm looking forward to and want to understand is as climate becomes central to politics, how it becomes part of how it gets connected to other issues. And so, you know, when we start talking about transforming how people earn a living and what they make and how they make it, that's a very big shift. And it's going to take like entirely new fields of knowledge and new ways of communicating. Like how will we train workers at every level? So it's like we are trying to create a new society from scratch in a decade. That is awesome in every sense of that term. And the pieces of that new society are already present, already with us right now. People are pushing those boundaries all over the place. We just have to put it together in ways that we've never put together before. Absolutely. I've been thinking a lot about what to pay attention to. There is so much stuff coming at us from so many different directions. Increasingly feels like I have to choose where I put my attention, where I put my energy. And it's absolutely at play when I think about what things do I want to learn? What experiences do I want to have to inform how I how I go ahead? I'm thinking about the experience we had in New England in uh, eastern Massachusetts this fall with the natural gas explosions where uh, thousands of, of households in Lawrence, North Andover, and Andover had their natural gas service, you know, go haywire, blow up, you know, hundreds of people had their houses destroyed, thousands of people were displaced. And it's a, it's a terrible situation, and it's also a learning opportunity to really engage in that kind of thing. You know, people were, were literally without any heat, hot water, any capacity to cook food for months, and there's still a, a few that are in that, in that state. How do we, as a, as a broader community, take that sort of event in and try to learn from it. Clearly, that's hardly the last disaster that's going to face us that's attached to our current energy systems and the changes of climate. How do we respond? How do we reach out to those neighbors and, and work with them to build back better? You know, I spent, uh, I spent a really intense Saturday up in Lawrence through the great organizing work of Mothers Out Front and a few other folks distributing induction hot plates to people that could run off electricity. People were so, so appreciative. Many of them, you know, also just super appreciative for the opportunity to just talk with somebody about what their experience was. Every single one of those households has had a really intense thing go on. And I feel like that, that presents us with the sort of rich in the real world learning experience that we all ought to be grabbing for. So, guys, now, well, you know, all stories come to an end sooner or later. And we are about to end the season. 
Any parting thoughts? Anything that you feel that our listeners would like to hear? Some some ways in which you've changed over the season, either because of pursuing these topics or elsewhere. Yeah. Something something that made you learn and change. Yeah, I would love to hear from people how any of the examples that that we've talked about with any of our guests have connected to something in their lives or have inspired you to take on something new. And I think it's it's through sharing those stories that we can we can continue to learn from each other. What I was really impressed with and uh, thinking back uh, over season three is the diversity of disciplines, the diversity of perspectives that was represented in the three groups that we spotlighted. And that what I learned is everybody has a contribution to make. With this kind of existential species level threat that we're faced with now, as you've all pointed out with the most recent reports that we've read, it's not okay to hope that somebody else will take care of it. Everybody has a role to play. Whatever your perspective or career or position, everybody's got a role to play. And we need to find ways to welcome everybody in to the largest tent we could imagine so we can uh, join forces together and be smart together. Be smart together. That's a pretty good slogan, I would say, (laughs) to end the season. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you, Dave, and thank you, Kurt. And thank you, me. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. The Climate Conversations podcast is engineered and edited by Dave Lashansky. Project and media support is by my MIT Open Learning colleagues, Laura Howells and Michaela Joyce. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you find your podcasts. Join the community on climate.mit.edu and be in touch at Twitter climatex underscore MIT, and Facebook, group named MIT Climate. For my co-hosts, Rajesh Kasturi-Rangan and Dave Damlor, I'm Kurt Newton. Thanks so much for listening.